Welcome to Pod at the Montecito, the world's premier podcast discussing the hit NBC TV show Las Vegas. I'm one of your hosts, Judson Clark. And I'm Eddie McCarthy, and I still just cannot argue with any of the words that you just said. Then so far we're batting a thousand. Uh, This is our second episode. We've had our soft open. It's time to let some guests in the casino and hope Daniel Ocean doesn't steal a bunch of diamonds and money from us. But first, something very important has happened in our lives. And since our listeners are like family to us, I think we need to discuss it. I'm speaking, of course, of Money Plane, which at the time of this recording released yesterday. Ed, share your thoughts with me. Uh, it was perfect. It was it was everything that I wanted it to be and so much more. Uh, if folks remember a couple of years ago, there was the Snakes on a Plane trailer and everybody got all excited and, and thought it would be this great, fun, dumb movie. I did not. Snakes are terrible. Well, that's fair. Uh, everyone was hoping it would be this fun, dumb movie, and it was just garbage. It was not fun at all, not even in an ironic way, but Money Plane. Oh, the Money Plane. What a what a just tour of the force that we got. I mean, the Oscars are wrapped up. It helps that very few movies have come out this year, but it's a done deal. Kelsey Grammer, mwah, just a virtuoso performance from the rumble. How many other movies do you think will postpone? And they'll claim it's because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but really they know that the awards have have already been decided and they're just going to take a pass this year because of money playing. I mean, I think we're within 72 hours of Christopher Nolan being like, yeah, I'm going to push tenant back again because of the virus. Yeah. That's why not because he knows he's going to get his ass kicked by the greatness of money playing. We both saw it last night and something we had independently decided we needed was about 10 more minutes of the normal operation of the money plan. So I'm hoping that Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, somebody starved for this content. Apple TV Plus, I'm looking at you here. Bring us a 10-episode series that is just the actual goings-on aboard the money plane. I need to know everything. Can we sub out Joey Lawrence for Big Ed the Line? Yes. In fact, dare I say we must. Just to tie it, I think we need the uh, the money plane to be part of the Montecito cinematic universe. Yeah. I, I agree. In fact, all goes so far as to say they could say it's the money plane brought to you by Montecito. That's fine. Or the money plane at the Montecito. There's a lot of branding options here. All of which are great. Yeah. This is something we need in our lives. Well, do you think we should get after it? Is it time to discuss season one, episode two? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? I mean, it's either that or another 45 minutes about the movie Money Plane. But I think we should probably give folks a little more time to see it. I agree. It's insane. Yeah. Love it. Open on some guys, shithouse drunk, playing golf at Bally High. Ed, you and I have been shithouse drunk and played golf at Bally High. I would like to pose a hypothetical. If I were drunk pissing on a tree and you found a dead body, what would your reaction be? Probably a lot of screaming, perhaps some vomit on account of being drunk and oh, a random dead body, which you got to think just smells like hell out in the Las Vegas heat. I, 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 do not, I do not expect that I would be particularly composed in that scenario. Would you accuse me of having killed the guy with my golf ball first? <sighs> I'd like to say that I would have the frame of mind to do that because after it happened, I would always wish that I had. But no, I don't, I don't think I'd have that one in the bag. I think that's a joke that's best uh, saved for the locker room. But what do I know? 
What I do know is that the one guy pissing is uphill of the body. So by the time CSI shows up, there's definitely piss on that body. Yeah, not a lot of uh, crime scene management going on. No, no, the scene has been tampered with. But Greg, dead, and now we know his body's going to be found. Also, a random tire, which I feel like a Las Vegas casino would do a little bit better job of upkeep of the grounds. Well, Bally High is just uh, a, your run-of-the-mill public course that just happens to be exorbitantly expensive and located adjacent to an international airport. Maybe a tire fell off an airplane. Why, why are you being so judgy? Are, have you walked 18 holes in the cleats of a groundskeeper? No, sir, you've not. And especially not in Las Vegas, where that would not be a fun walk. No. Smash cut. Senator Henderson is arriving at the Montecito right out of the gate. There's some serious contempt on Danny's face. And that's paid off in the elevator when the guy pulls off his wedding ring and begins his sexual assault of a dozen French maids. He gets a lot of ass grabs in very little time. Uh, One thing that I really appreciate about Senator Henderson is as the episode goes on, his accent drifts more and more into Foghorn Leghorn. It surely does. I feel like by the end of the episode, he's become a full caricature of what a Southern accent would be from the beginning where it was just like, okay, yeah, this dude's clearly from like Kentucky. Yeah, he goes from Kentucky to Georgia over the course of the episode, and it it is fantastic. What's not fantastic, this is a really bad look for Ed. First of all, he's lined up all these French maids to get sexually assaulted. And then when Sam comments that if he pinches her ass, she'll deck him. His response is simply, no, you won't. And I was expecting a beat and then because I'll do it for you. But no, what Ed what Ed really means is this is a hostile work environment and you will enjoy it. Yeah, this is as as you'll recall from our last episode, we talked about how some aspects of the show might play a little more problematic in today's society. Not a great look for the uh, the Montecito workforce here. No, nor is it a good look for Henderson carrying around his own book. That's some real Bush League bullshit. When he rolled out with the book, I actually thought that it wasn't going to be a senator, but was going to be like some Joel Osteen type preacher. Same, you know, same vibe of, oh, of sanctimonious yeah. bullshit on the air. But when he's behind closed doors, he's a freak. But I was definitely expecting a like mega church priest, not a senator. Just the way he held the book had a weird... Bible feel to it. I agree. I agree. That's not the only bad news. The title song has changed. What a terrible development. Yeah, we uh, you never know what title song you're going to get when you fire up an episode. Uh, the, the Let It Ride song is not nearly the little less conversation. No. And I have to add, I did not know until this podcast started that that is the remix of A Little Less Conversation by a Dutch DJ named Junkie XL. I did not know the name of the DJ, but I did know that it was the remix version. Yeah. Interesting. The original, pretty bad. Not going to lie. Not a fan. Would not be a good title song for the TV show Las Vegas. Fair enough. The remix definitely adds a little to it. Coming out of the title credits, we're at a surfing competition hosted at the Mandalay Bay redressed to look like the Montecito. And we're busy at work establishing that Mary is no longer a hooker but a truly legitimate special events coordinator. And lest you were worried, the show is still in the business of serving up eye candy. Yeah, we get a, a lot of butts once again. You gotta, you gotta applaud GST. He knows what he likes. He's consistent with what he likes. I also love that we get the NBC Sports branding on a surfing competition in a wave pool. 
which seems like it would be a very bad surfing competition. A horrible surfing competition. Who would enter? Who would watch? Hey, you got to fill hours sometime, somehow, I guess. You know, there's only so many Premier League games that NBC Sports can put on. This almost feels like something that the Ocho would air on their dipshit sports day. I mean, it's not going to hold a candle to slippery stairs, but, uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll get on at like the 2 a.m. mark. Hey, there's there's room on the plank for both of those. But the surf competition, oof. But hey, who cares? We get beautiful people in board shorts and bikinis. Fine. A little something for everybody. And speaking of beautiful people in bikinis, we're back in the security room where Danny and Ed are creeping on and judging Delinda, respectively. We have the return of the voiceover, the introduction to a gentleman we'll soon know as Mitch, the security guy who will become a recurring character. But the big news here is the Senator Henderson exposition. And it is clear that this is our A story. Yeah, I, I would like to just for a second. Danny is way too horny on Maine in front of his boss about his the boss's daughter. I mean, don't get me wrong. Delinda is extremely hot and she looks great in a bikini. But my guy, you got to have a little situational awareness to yourself here. Well, not only is this his boss and the woman's father, he's at work. He's also seen her naked. Why is he unable to maintain his cool with a shitty 420p security camera shot? Like, come on, Danny. Act like you've been there because you have in this instance. Not a not the best look, but you are correct. Uh, the senator is clearly our uh, our big story. This guy preaching virtues, practicing vices into the casino for three and a half million dollars. That is a mighty big tab to run up at the tables, especially when he's just playing slots. Oh, my God. We'll get into that. Uh, but before we can see this guy working the one arm bandit, we whoosh in and out to a quick hit of the Camelot. This guy, the most annoying sea story imaginable. Before we can really linger on this piece of shit, Danny and Ed have to leap into action to stop a reporter from outing the senator, confiscating his film in a backhaul before kicking him off the property. And uh, what do you make of Ed's suggestion that he leaves town entirely? That sure felt like the reporter was going to end up next to Greg on the side of the golf course in the tire. It really did. It didn't feel like a suggestion, despite Ed's insistence to the contrary. I will say you would think that a reporter would know what the First Amendment and free speech actually is. But as we've learned in this country, nobody knows what the hell it means. So uh, our, our young reporter friend did not get too far with uh, Big Ed and Danny here. Now, see, I thought about that. Do we think the reporter doesn't know or do we think the reporter is hoping they don't know? Because he backs off it pretty readily. I could buy that bluff. I'm wondering if he's gotten himself out of some sticky situations in the past by being all, hey, bud, First Amendment can't touch me. I'm a press. It's like, ah, damn it. Got me again. That that could be a good try. I mean, there's so many good amendments and he's just stuck on the first one. Why why won't anyone give the third amendment its due, damn it? Jim amendments didn't die for this. But now we have to address the elephant in the room. This fucking Camelot guy. He is an absolute lunatic. Literally, we'll find out later. But for now, just mistakenly identifies most of our series regulars as members of his convoluted fiction. And I have to say I share Ed's position on this motherfucker. The less we see him, the better off my life would be. Get the king out of my face. I was more surprised that Ed restrained himself from just destroying King Arthur than for restraining from destroying the reporter. King Arthur, this guy is just a whole lot. 
you've got to love the doofy couple who who come in as the most stereotypical oh we're just yokels from the midwest or whatever here for a good time the slowest pickpocket of all time tries to rob the wife and king arthur somehow with eyes in the back of his head doing better security work than this somehow you know supposedly vaunted surveillance and security of the montecito pulls his sword on the guy which I believe that's frowned upon. He's going to jail, right? I mean, he drew down on yeah. this on this petty thief with the sword. He's going to jail. He's at least getting booked. It's it's typically frowned upon. Luckily, he now knows Danny, and Danny knows everyone, and so he'll be able to get him out of it. It's fine. So transitive property of Neon City means that he's in the clear? It's got to be, right? We learn that Danny's good with the police later on. He's fine. Doesn't even seem like he's going to get his, his wrist slapped, though. Not that it would hurt in those bracers, but... Doesn't seem like he's uh, in any sort of trouble. I would think that Montecito would want to have a talking to. Hey, please don't assault people on our property. Let us do that if it's necessary. And by the way, it will be extremely necessary over the course of the show. But let's leave that to the professionals. Also, don't have a real sword, please. Maybe maybe get a prop. Even if it's a prop sword, it's definitely going to hurt. Up in the VIP suite. Senator Henderson is citing some of his books while gleefully watching his own interview, submitting that this guy is just a real piece of shit. <laughs> He's on TV talking about how amoral liberals are ruining the country while simultaneously convincing Big Ed that it's time to take this show on the road and hit a strip club. I mean, the guy knows what he likes. You, you preach a little too much. It's really because you like that stuff, I guess. I don't know, but he, he wants some real action, as he tells Ed uh, and poor Sam is then told to get him some makeup and a wig. And oh man, the costume designers really outdid themselves this week. The dissolve into the world's worst fake mustache. (laughs) Oh, the mustache is incredible. Is only trumped by the second mention of the episode title within the first 12 minutes of runtime. It was just an absolute cliche fest. I'm almost surprised that they waited until episode two to start dropping what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas all the time. I'm impressed that they waited that long, but ooh, man, they really like to hit their beats hard and often. Yeah, it's clear that any sort of self-restraint that they exhibited until now is out the window and they're going to get their rocks off at any opportunity they can. Leaving the casino, Danny and Mike are tailing this reporter, doing the worst job possibly imaginable. I mean, they are in a bright yellow convertible, one car back from the reporter. He sees them in the rear view. And I guess they're going to Los Angeles based on how long they're driving that the sun goes from high noon to pitch black. So this strip club is nowhere close by. Either that or the senator had been at that strip club for a long time, which also very possible. Yeah, it makes sense because inside the strip club, we've got a bored and very sleepy Sam standing guard while the senator's getting his lappies from some strippers with pasties. He's having a great time. Sam is not, though. She's exhausted, unhappy, but she's she's doing her job, which is keeping the senator safe. She clocks the reporter. Danny goes to run interference while Mike and Sam get the senator out of there, during which his mustache falls off. And half off mustache, I think, is a marked improvement over full on mustache. That trash caterpillar has no place in this episode. Uh, I, I wholly disagree. It's maybe the best part of this episode. The mustache is incredible. Did you clock that as we were getting the vibe of the strip club before we saw the reporter, you see the two drunk doofuses watching the stage show 
I'm pretty sure that's our drunk golfers who found a dead body earlier today. They're like, you know, let's get our mind off the corpse we found. Let's go see some titties. I did not clock that, but what a what a callback if that's what happened. Love it. I'm I'm pretty sure it's the same two dudes. In fact, I would be willing to wager some space bucks that it is the same two dudes or you caught into some action. Ooh. You seem you seem incredibly confident. I I could throw a token space buck wager on this, but I'm not feeling particularly feisty. So I, I, I tend to just believe you on this. Okay, fair enough. We'll we'll have plenty of opportunities in the future. While Mike and Sam are bum rushing the senator out of the strip club, the reporter is giving Danny a little insight into the relationship between Henderson and Ed, which will set off the most bizarre character turd in Danny, where he was just going to start interrogating Ed's closest friends and family for information out of the blue. But it confirms what we may have suspected going back to the VIP suite that Henderson's got his hooks in Ed. And that's maybe why Ed's been so willing to roll over on this and then do what this guy wants. One thing that this raised a question in me on, uh, which also I think we talked about a, a little bit last time. How long do you think Danny has been working for Ed? That's a great question. I'm thinking less than three years. See, my original thought was something along the like five year range. But this was just such a, you know, the questioning would have been such a weird for either one of those amounts of time. That's you don't just start asking those kind of questions about somebody you've been working for forever or for a long time. Right. It's a weird vibe. Well, I think the shorter that Danny's been working for Ed, the better it speaks to the nature of their relationship. If they've been together for five or six years, there are some serious gaps in Danny's knowledge of how to manage up. He doesn't know shit all about his boss. This is really just kind of bad at his job and and doesn't fit his profile. Now, maybe if it's shorter, two, three years, it more speaks to the rapid ascent of Danny and Ed's eyes, the tightness of their protege relationship. But there's still a lot of fresh road, fresh ground to cover. Gotcha. That makes sense. I think that's probably right. Outside the club, we meet Luis a cop and Danny's friend, because again, Danny knows everybody and everybody knows Danny. And Luis is here to break the bad news about Greg. Greg, as we've known, either from the opening of the show, certainly the end of last episode, Greg dead. And while Danny's identifying the body, come to find out Greg had some demons and the people who knew Greg best maybe saw this coming. Yeah, Greg had a touch of a gambling addiction. Apparently, he's about as good as the senator is, yet without the cash to uh, to finance it, Luis makes reference to uh, perhaps getting in with some, some bad people, maybe some loan sharks involved, because there are very few who would put this much money on the table and even fewer who would kill a guy for not repaying debts. So... That's just bad business. Dead people can't pay loan, can't pay off debts. Indeed. You you can cut hair as long as you want, but you can only scalp once. So Greg had himself a bad time. And Luis, who switches in and out of Spanish and English quite a bit with Danny, who Danny doesn't strike me as bilingual. I've got I've got a hunch that he does not know what <laughs> Luis is saying half the time. Uh, but Luis tries to convince him, hey. You're done. Stay out of this. Do not try and do anything crazy. 
it was an interesting choice that when Luis really wanted to get his point home, he switched to Danny's non-native language to say not in my house. That was a an interesting debate choice. Just let the police handle this. Danny, Danny, hazme yeah. caso. But following that, Mary runs up. She wants to see the body. We get the classic TV anger to grief hug, which we linger on just long enough to make me realize that in the next scene, when we cut to King Arthur, I wish I were Greg. God, <laughs> being dead is better than dealing with this guy. Just the worst. Somehow he's a huge hit with the guests who are chasing him through the casino and selling out his shows. I don't get people. I never have. But this is a great example of my disconnect with the average Las Vegas tourist. I would be extremely angry if I had to deal with some dweeb in a suit of armor yelling two arms as I'm at a craps table trying to throw a nine. Now, four hours into a midnight gaming session and I'm drunk on Blanton's and up three G's. I'm probably loving King Arthur, but middle of the day, not having it. That would not be a welcome addition in my mind to the casino experience. After the run in with the reporter at the strip club, Henderson is clearly turning the screws on Ed explicitly mentions a covert op that went sideways and suggests that Ed killed the reporter. Is that what we're uh, meant to take from his insinuation that Ed should just make this problem go away? I mean, there are a lot of ways to make problems go away. Sometimes murder is one. But how many of those ways are Ed very good at? I mean, you know, we don't know that Ed has murdered people. We just strongly, strongly suspect it. Yeah, this from a guy who is hanging out in a slot bank on the casino floor while trying to preserve his privacy. He's got sunglasses on, so nobody can tell who he is. Even without that terribly great mustache? Oh, God, I miss the mustache so much. How he didn't keep that the rest of the episode. Just a terrible decision. If your fake mustache falls off your face in a strip club, are you picking it up off the floor and sticking it on your upper lip again? I do not think so. No, I think I would ask for a new fake mustache. I think you got to get a new one. But then think about the memories you had with the first one. Mm. I mean, you can get a new mustache, but you can never replace the first one. (laughs) Oh, the memories that we had together. (laughs) How long has this guy been playing slots? How high limit are these slots that he is into the casino for coming up on four million dollars? We get a reference that he shows up once a month for these little benders. So you've got to expect that. I mean, I would assume they're like thousand dollar plays and he's just ripping through them for hours. Helps explain why no one is ever at an adjacent slot machine. Because, again, he's on the main casino floor and anyone could walk up to play one of those. Oh, well, they they have the section closed off uh, at one point. We do see. Oh, do they? Okay, yeah. It's it's shot really weird there. But there's one scene where Danny's walking back through and he walk he sees Sam and walks through a couple more banks. And then they've got a little velvet rope and a guy posted up with a uh, section closed sign. OK, well, that's fine then, I guess. It's still not great. It would still be very, very easy to see the guy. Right. Meanwhile, Big Ed has summoned Delinda to keep Danny company following the death of Greg. And Danny suspects sideline him, but no problem because Danny now has a fellow Hardy boy to go on his adventure to find out who killed Greg. 
Yeah, I definitely think it was less about getting Danny some company and more about, hey, Danny, don't do anything stupid. Maybe if my super hot daughter is with you, you won't go on a revenge fest. Turns out, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Reasonable thesis. It shows Big Ed's commitment to the mission and willing to deploy assets as needed. But miscalculation. He, he does not read Danny. And we go to where Greg lived in a trailer, McCoy Construction, where we learn a few things. One, we learn Delinda has no concept of paying rent. <laughs> she is shocked that anyone would stay here. She's never once written a rent check in her entire life. Uh, we know that Greg went to a loan shark by the name of Tyler O'Reilly because Danny finds his name and number written on a slip of paper. But more importantly, we learned that Danny, Greg, and Mary yeah. were all very close friends and have grown up together. And Danny and Greg are not brothers. Bow, 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 bow. I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Now bring me my money. Really wanted you to take that bet earlier to try and get these uh, space bucks back. Because sadly, that'll be a 50, 50 space buck beat for your boy. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. I, I've already mentally spent my space bucks. It was great. Why did you think they were brothers? Was there any? I really thought his dad said your brother Greg needs to get a hold of you. Hmm. I, I was I was 100% convinced in my mind. So you had also already spent the space bucks in your head. You thought that was just shoe money tonight. I was eyeing some uh, some nice little things with those space bucks, but Sadly, that will have to come another time. Wasn't meant to be. What is meant to be is Danny, armed with the information about Mr. O'Reilly, is going to go give him a beatdown. But first, out of the blue, he's going to interrogate Delinda about her father's past. Real smooth for a Marine counterintelligence officer. Hard to imagine that she didn't spill her guts there in that moment. Not a, I, it doesn't bode well for the future of the relationship the way this conversation goes, I feel like. There is definitely some relationship foreshadowing here. But Danny abandoning his, uh, is that a Camaro that he's driving? It is a, a, a very nice yellow SS Camaro. Yeah, abandoning his ride in the middle of the strip to chase down O'Reilly and beat the shit out of him before Luis X Machina pulls him off of him, saves him from going to jail for assault which is, as Louise mentions, exactly what should have happened. But Danny has exacted, I guess, a little bit of revenge. I don't know. He gets several good shots in. Can we talk about the closing speed Danny's got? I mean, my guy's in a suit and just a dead sprint catches up with O'Reilly, who's a big guy, but he's moving fairly quick. But the closing speed and the tackle form were pretty exceptional from Danny. The technique was great. The way the right hand comes over the top to knock the football out. He did definitely gotten a fumble there. Left arm secures the tackle. Right arm goes for the turnover. I think we know. I think it's canon at this point. Danny played linebacker, right? Can we establish that? Or at least strong safety. Sure. I, I think it's safe to say that he was a defensive player of some renown at one of the local Las Vegas high schools where everybody knew him. And, you know, he knew everybody. Right. He's probably a letterman, a, a B-mock, if you will. I will not. No, not at all. No, <laughs> I'm hard pass on that one. Uh, the next morning. Danny's continuing his dumb quest by interrogating Nessa again out of nowhere. Huge surprise. The ice queen doesn't melt. 
does not divulge any information. Danny, 0 for 2 in the cold call interrogations. Maybe, maybe he'll come up with a better strategy. Nessa, however, still, for being the Ice Queen, she sure is a little saucy. The, once again, getting the mention of wanting to see the sights with a naughty little wink at the end. You know, I'm beginning to think she doesn't mean take me to the top of the stratosphere. I think she means let's go fuck. It does seem to be a little bit closer to that. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about her intelligence gathering network. Does she really want to be what breaks up Danny and Big Ed's daughter? This does not seem like a smart move, Nessa. I think Nessa recognizes what Danny and Delinda are and knows that the time is not long for that one. So she's just she's putting in her work now. Do you want to be the next batter up after that? Because I think Big Ed's going to be asking questions about, hey, when did this start? What role did you play in breaking them up? She's playing with fire. I do not agree with the call here. While I agree with the sentiment, you also have to recall that we've gotten stories of Nessa knowing Ed since she was a kid. And Nessa hasn't spent the last few years gallivanting around Europe, spending Big Ed's money to not go to classes that she was supposed to. (laughs) She's been there working for Big Ed. So she may also have very close father-daughter-esque relationship to where she's not worried about it. Maybe we get a little sister rivalry here. And maybe it's also possible that Nessa has no actual interest in Danny and is just fucking with him. In which case, what a what a troll job. Love it. Yes. Or maybe she really just does want to see, like, what's up with that big pyramid? That's pretty cool. Well, Danny's got a big pyramid, but it's not the one you're thinking of. Hi, Daddy. What is it, Judson? No, that's just going to be where the hi, Daddy drop comes in. <laughs> well played. Uh... <laughs> So up in Big Ed's office, terrible upset continues for Danny and Big Ed. Big Ed leaving information up on his computer monitor while he goes to take a piss. And Danny not checking the bathroom before snooping around in Big Ed's office. What are these guys doing? Also, not playing it off well at all because, hey, you work, you do the same work. You should probably want to know the information, which does not look all that confidential or anything it looks like he's got the wikipedia page for the senator pulled up and it's just sort of a basic uh cv we're not getting into classified docs here danny should just be like huh yeah i read that too like come on man well maybe ed's got a his own internal wikipedia that's got dossiers and all these dipshits but i agree it does not seem like it's the start of a great scene and it's not really we get a a brief uh we get a debrief on Greg's death and then Ed quickly explaining what Henderson's got on him, presumably because Mike, the valet, has found out that Danny is grilling everyone in Las Vegas and has told Ed, hey, your boy Danny is trying to get your business out on the street. Maybe just tell him. But Ed explains what Henderson's got on him. Covert op, early 90s that got away from him. They weren't where they were supposed to be. And some shit happened. Oopsies. Yeah, it definitely doesn't sound like a good time was had by probably the local inhabitants of whatever village they were in. I don't know how you're feeling at this point watching the episode. I can best characterize my thoughts is that I hope our second episode is going better than our first. And the same cannot be said of Las Vegas because we enter 
into the most nonsensical chase scene that I think has ever been on broadcast television. The highlight of which, yeah, the reporter who's running through the casinos, managing to dodge uh, cameras wherever he goes, somehow ends up from the VIP check-in desk where there's no security to halfway down the pool in 15 seconds, all without showing up on any one of a thousand cameras. Uh, he's quick for a little guy, but finally Chekhov's surfing competition comes through because the Montecito does not control those computers. And this reporter, who is clearly a tech whiz, is going to hack into the NBC Sports computers, which surely will be very easily accessible to somebody that doesn't work for them, to upload his pictures and videos that he took of the senator on what looks like a camera that does not have any of those capabilities. Well, I don't know if you remember the late 2000s, but all you need is to plug a device into a computer and the appropriate dialog box will appear. And oh, you get the little the you get clippy from Microsoft Word saying it seems like you want to upload recordings to a newspaper service. Can I help you with that? And you just hit yes and you're off and running. What a what a lovely time for technology it was. He doesn't accomplish his mission, though, because in the nick of time, as he is wont to do, Danny saves the day. And as a result, doesn't notice that dipshit Arthur throws his fucking sword in the wave pool. So we've gone from Chekhov's surfing competition to Chekhov's sword in a pool. I don't know about you. I was hoping he was going to throw himself in and drown. I was that was my hope as well. Uh, Big Ed gave Arthur a talking to. Uh, Arthur was pulling more of his bullshit on the casino floor. Ed had finally had enough and said, look, bud, I know you're a crazy person. I've got your medical records. Go back to your rehearsal where you're supposed to be. Get the hell off of my floor before I fire your ass and put you in an asylum. Instead of going back to rehearsal, though, he just gets sad and throws Excalibur back to the Lady of the Lake. The lake, of course, being our (laughs) wave pool. Unbelievable. And of course, we'll circle back to this because there is no God and this is the darkest timeline, but not before the reporter gets backroomed. However, Ed has had a change of heart and orders Danny to give him back all of his shit and escort him off the property. Ed willing to go down if it means no longer having to protect the shitbag Senator Henderson. Extreme props to the reporter for reading the room. Not asking any question, just getting his stuff and getting the fuck out of there before anybody changes their mind. Correct. Excellent, excellent play by my guy there. This is not the first time he's gotten himself out of a sticky situation, I think, and realized the quicker I can leave this room, the better off I'll be. Yeah, of of places I never want to be in the world, the back room of a casino with security is pretty high up there. I found Ed's pivot a little unearned. It did not seem likely to me that this head of the CIA counterintelligence task force kills a bunch of people is all of a sudden going to just be willing to go down with the ship. I I don't know. That seemed like a pivot out of nowhere. I mean, you had seen the growing frustration whenever he was with the senator uh, and realizing that this was a monthly affair. I could see the growing frustration. But yeah, it does sort of come out of nowhere pretty quick. I can I can ride with that. It does give us a great opportunity for Henderson losing his shit, discovering that 
all this is about to fall apart around him trying to blackmail Big Ed for his marker. Which, hey, what an ass play, play, play the cards you got. I, I love the guy's gumption. My godfather used to say, if something's worth having, it's worth asking for. But the set of grapefruits on Senator Henderson to try this in that moment. Wow. Truly something. Very impressive. However, backfires pretty hard when Ed gives him a hard no on that and then says, oh, yeah, by the way, get out. You get no more plane. You get no more cars. You get no more privacy. We're done, my guy. Enjoy your walk of shame. Yeah, he's going to basically perp walk him out the front door tomorrow morning, giving the press time to assemble. Get me my car and my plane. I'm leaving. You're leaving. See, this time you're going to go out the front door. It's an outrage. What I'm going to do, I'm going to call a valet. And he's going to put you in a real nice cab. I'm going to take you to the airport and put you on a real big commercial airline. Oh, look at this. Damn it. You you missed the last flight. I guess you'll have to leave first thing in the morning. Check out. It's 11 a.m. Sharp. Why didn't Henderson leave that night? Was he a prisoner? Yeah, you'd think he could call somebody up and get a car. He clearly has no problems doing somewhat illicit things undercover. Surely the Montecito isn't the only person that he's only people that he's got providing some of this stuff. Right. Uh, just it's 4 a.m. Call somebody, call a car service and be like, yeah, I need to go to Henderson Executive. Get a NetJet. Bye. Come on. Yeah, he's obviously got the scratch for it. Poor play. You know, I, th- I think what this tells us is that Senator Henderson wanted it. He, he felt like he deserved his punishment. And deep down, he wanted the self-flagellation that comes with that early morning perp walk. Very possible. Before we get that, ah, we have to tie the bow on fucking crazy Camelot douchebag. We're at the pool. The wave pool's not working. Poor Mary's thinking she's going to get fired, which on the one hand... I don't know how this could possibly be her fault. On the other hand, they're hosting a competition and they don't have the special mechanics that are needed to make sure this thing works on hand. That seems like an oversight because we're told we can't even look at this thing. We're going to supply some people in from L.A. That would be like hosting the Masters and making sure that the Greenkeepers were in North Carolina that weekend. It doesn't seem like the best play, but I agree with you. This seems like it would be NBC Sports problem, not the Montecitos. Well, Mary does get out there with a microphone to provide the least helpful update of all time, which is it's going to be fine, everybody. Bye. Hey, as as one who is never ready to apologize for Mary, Mary was working with what she could. I I am not willing to say, even though I had a whole theme song cooked up for the new bit, I do not believe that this was a bad Mary episode. TM, TM, TM. I don't either. And I think certainly off of last week's episode where we established the baseline, this is a great Mary episode, which I will not bother trademarking because I don't think we'll need that very often. (laughs) Not going to need a drop for that one, I don't think. So somehow King Arthur deduces that his life is worth living. I don't know how he came to that realization, but he did. And as such, he needs Excalibur. So he jumps in the water pulls it out of the very thinly masked metaphor for the rock that is the 
Montecito wave pool. He should have drowned. He jumped in. He took off his plate armor. He's still wearing his chain and he's pulling up a, what, 20, 30 pound metal sword. This guy should be dead at the bottom of the wave pool. Extremely good core strength on King Arthur. He may be crazy, but my guy is very strong. Uh, Yeah, jumping in a pool in a suit of armor doesn't seem like the best choice. I also love how the sword conveniently happened to lodge itself somehow in the wave pool mechanism perfectly to cause the waves to stop. But as Sir Arthur emerges from the lake with Excalibur, we get the wave pool back. Everybody's excited. Everybody loves King Arthur again. The surfing competition is saved. Everyone's happy. At this point, I I felt seen with Danny's absolute disgust, first at having to go save the guy and then realizing he's about to get smoked by the wave and be like, yep, let's let that happen. Finally, I felt like Danny's redemption has come full circle and now I'm a Danny fan. Yeah, he they earned that brief moment of joy. But we cannot have joy without sorrow. So we are off to the wake for degenerate gambler Greg being held in a casino. That feels a little off to me. A, a little tone deaf. And speaking of tone deaf, Danny's father offers up the cheers to Greg. And here comes Elvis impersonator with a Viva Las Vegas, which my first thought was read the room, buddy. Apparently he had because half the bar was excited to say Viva Las Vegas back to him. How does that guy not get his ass kicked instantly? I was I was aghast. Probably because it's the Neon City <laughs> and Danny knows everybody in Neon City. And so he probably knows this low rent Elvis impersonator that crashed the wake, which being held at the main bar at Montecito, probably no effective way to keep the guy out. Such is life. Man, that made me so angry. I don't know why that made me so irrationally angry. Just having the Elvis impersonator there was bad enough. But then dropping the Viva Las Vegas as you're trying to toast your dead friend. It's like, man, you would get fucking smoked for that. And for a guy who died under some pretty questionable circumstances, they've already done the autopsy and cremated him in a pretty tight turnaround. One one question that we never really get an answer for. Obviously, Luis showed up incredibly quickly when Danny found Mr. O'Reilly. Luis shows up the next day and says, hey, we're looking through his apartment I'm presumably to find evidence linking O'Reilly to the murder of Greg, but we're probably not going to find anything. So he's just going to go free. Everything just kind of wrapped up real cleanly in a little bow to never be spoken of again. Right. Yeah, I think the obvious inference here is Luis, not a great cop, refuses to arrest people when they break the law in front of him, doesn't bother running down a homicide of a friend of his. Yeah, hot take. Luis, bad cop. I feel like a lot of people are very bad at their jobs on this show. Well, it's not over yet because sunrise over the strip. Mary and Danny taking a ride in the Camaro with the top down. Giggling to themselves, sharing knowing glances. They know what's about to happen. Yep, they're scattering Greg's ashes as they drive down the strip. And downwind of them are a large number of cars with their windows down. Just extremely unsanitary corpse disposal here. You got people catching Greg at their mouth, people catching Greg in their coffee. I mean, this is a really, really disgusting way to end the episode. Yeah. 
Also, think how gross the back of Danny's Camaro is going to be. Like half of your buddy is going to be lodged <laughs> in your back seat, my dude. You're going to need to get that detail. That is that was not well thought out, I feel like. And then you got to get the ashes out of the vacuum and go scatter the rest of them on the strip. I mean, this is like, look, I'm sorry, man. If I outlive you and your dying wish is that your ashes get scattered in a way that's inconvenient to me, it's just not going to happen. I, that's fair. I'll lie and tell you I will, but I won't. That's fair. I will haunt you until the end of time for that. But that's fair. I get it. Also fair. You got to you got to make your choices in life. And <laughs> mine is not to scatter your ashes out the back of my convertible while driving down the strip. I And I really can't argue that too much. So a, a fair a fair call. A man's got to have a code. <laughs> Indeed. A man got to have a code. So did you like the episode? This one was not as good as the first episode. I think if they had just taken the King Arthur stuff out, it would have been fine. I, I enjoy the sanctimonious senator bit. That's a, a well-worn trope, but especially for a show like this, it works pretty well. But man, the King Arthur stuff on top of it was just a lot. I agree with you. I think especially today when we're finding a lot of people coming out and speaking truth to power about uh, abusing power for sexual gains. That part of the episode has aged exceptionally well. Oh, man, though, the King Arthur stuff really. I mean, I visibly fell. If you watched me watching the episode, I would visibly fall when he would come on the screen. It was like my life force was being sucked out of me. (laughs) Well, hopefully that is the last we see of King Arthur. And to my mind, I believe that it is. I hope so. But we also thought the Danny narration was over. And while it was dramatically downsized this episode, it had not been completely eliminated. Mm, Fair point. What do we have coming up for next week on Pod at the Montecito? Next week on Pod at the Montecito, we have episode three, Donnie, We Hardly Knew Ye. Now, is it possible that that is a mistake in the name of the title and it's actually Danny from the show? Possible. I don't know. But according to IMDb, Danny tries to find out the secret of Julian Kerbis, who bought a whole bunch of chips, but he hardly ever gambles. Meanwhile, Big Ed stumbles upon his cousin in the casino, who's about to marry a girl he just met a few days earlier. Sounds like some hijinks. God, if it's a typo and Danny dies in episode three, that is going to be a serious course reversal for this show. (laughs) It, It turns out Josh Dumel, the rest of the series, plays Donnie, Danny's twin, after Danny dies tragically in a wave pool accident at the Montecito. No, I think we're heading towards an executive decision situation. Josh Dumel's off the show, starting with episode four. Oh, man, that would be amazing. How do you think he had time for all the Transformer movies? He was fucking canned. That's fair. All right, my friend. Well, I had a great time recording this episode with you and analyzing this show, which I think we can both say needs this level of judicious criticism. I look forward to doing it next week. Any thoughts you want to leave with our listeners on the way out? Well, kids, the good news is if you've ever wanted to shut down a multi-million dollar wave machine, you now know all you have to do is find a big, heavy sword and just chuck it in the water somewhere, and you're probably going to hit exactly what you need. Always a good time, my friend. Thank you much. Hope you all have a good one. And we'll be back on Pod at the Montecito.